My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Uh, thank you for your patience. We've been a long time gone since the World Cup. Uh, we've been busy folk here making videos, uh, lots of things going on in the background, but we realised it was finally time to settle back down and start doing the podcast again. And thank you to everyone who asked us to do that and uh, is going to be listening to this. We very much appreciate that. So one of the things we want to do with this podcast um, is pick a different topic each week. Maybe that's a club, maybe that's a result, it might be a trend, a tactical trend, or it could be a hypothetical idea. You know, we made a video the other day, what if Maurizio Pochettino played at Manchester, oh, played at, was the manager of Manchester United. And we're going to explore those ideas on an episodic basis. We do welcome questions if you want to leave them uh, in the comment section of any video, any community post on YouTube. If you want to tweet them, I also am reliably informed that Alex's DMs are wide open. Is that right, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, and the, the Twitter lingo is you can slide in there, isn't yeah, it? Please slide away. Yeah. So if yeah. you do have any questions uh, of any of uh, hypothetical things you'd like us to answer, or indeed things that are really happening, we'd also be pleased. Um, today's episode is uh, the first of the series, and we're going to be talking about dun 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 Manchester United. Who'd have thought it? Huh? People on the Shut internet it. talking about Manchester United—it's disgusting. It really is disgusting. <laughs> but we feel like it's a good time. Um, they're a fascinating team at the moment because they're shit in a way and in other ways uh, great you know and that's the end of the podcast no it's not um obviously there's lots of focus around Mourinho so we'll be talking about that uh and how long that's going to go on for it is getting a little bit boring and I appreciate that people are probably they're a little bit tired of it so we're going to have a slightly different angle on that um we're going to talk about players we're going to talk a little bit about the video we made um, that I mentioned before. What if Maurizio Pochettino was the Manchester United manager? And that might uh, lead us into a conversation about who might be the next Manchester United manager. Because short of some kind of miracle turnaround at this point, um, given how far behind, I think it's 18 points or something behind Manchester City. That might be an exaggeration. It's quite a long way. They uh, are, can... I'm looking at it. No, they're 16 oh. points behind Manchester United. Okay. Uh, behind Man City, sorry. They're also eight points off Tottenham and Arsenal, who are 30 points in fourth and fifth place. They are firmly in the chasing pack with Everton and Leicester. Uh, and so at this point in the season, 14 games in. And Bournemouth. And Bournemouth. It, I mean, and Watford. And maybe Brighton. <laughs> I mean, we're just listing team names now. Yeah. But it really is a, um, a situation. And I, and I don't know about you, Alex, but I can't imagine that unless things rapidly improve... Mourinho certainly won't be there at the end of next season. Now, one of the things that we've said, and we've said this in videos recently, is that there is potentially a lack of genuine options to replace him mid-season. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, hypothetically, again, we can get into whether he should or should not leave, but if we were to say that he was to leave, do you think that potentially the reason he hasn't is because of the lack of genuine replacements? I... I think it's really difficult to answer what is going on in Edward Wood's head, where ultimately I think that decision is going to be made. Um, 
there aren't a huge number of viable options. Um, obviously, we looked a while back at, at some possibles. Um, Laurent Blanc is out of work, but has been out of work for quite some time. Uh, and as a few people pointed out in the aftermath of that video, there are also questions around uh, how he conducted himself with regards to yeah. player selections and privileging uh, potentially certain you know, ethnicities over others in the youth system in France. So I don't know if that would be politically the most astute um, appointment. Uh, Zidane is out of work, but appears to be taking a kind of Guardiola-esque hiatus from things. There's lots of people uh, talking about Leonardo, Leonardo Jardim, who I was going to come to next. Who I, in fact, I've just Googled him just to see see what he's up to these days. Yeah. Um, and the first article of the sportsman, there's something else we can talk about today because of obviously the result of the weekend 2-2 uh, draw with uh, Southampton. Mark Hughes has subsequently been sacked, presumably not yes. for that result. Uh, you, and worth pointing out that Alex is a, is a uh, Southampton supporter. I am. And that doesn't cause any issues. Um, Why well, it doesn't cause any issues? Just we, thinking, we never do any videos on really. Them. No, we don't. Do we? <laughs> we've, done, we've done quite a lot on Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth aren't really. A, Bournemouth like we've, to think we've they're done Southampton two rivals. But yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, this uh, this title of an article in the Sportsman says: "Forget Leonardo Jardim. This is the manager Southampton deserve to replace Mark Hughes." And then I'm reading quite a lot of things. Uh, oh, Ralph Hasenhutl. Yes, yes. That would be cool, huh? Oh. He's become the front runner for the position. Seriously. Four to six. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Is that Followed cause... by an eclectic mix of names. Gary Monk, Paolo, uh, Paolo Souza. Paolo Souza, yeah. yeah. Souza and uh, Sam Allardyce is 16 to one. Come Whoa. on, big Sam. Well, uh, I, I maybe tweeted... Maybe we should talk about that now. Yeah, I was, I was asked mm. earlier by somebody on Twitter who I would take. Uh, and I my choice was uh, Hasenhutl. Um I think if you look at... Those other options first. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's Souza is interesting because uh, he he's certainly got his Fiorentina side playing really well. Um, they played generally a sort of three four two one, which is not dissimilar to how we set up at the weekend yeah. against United. There have been some concerns around his manner off the pitch again. Chloe Beresford, who's a Fiorentina fan and a TIFO contributor, is not a fan of the way he conducted himself in press conferences and with staff around right. uh, the club. But I think as a tactician, he's quite good. Okay. Uh, Sam Allardyce, I, God, I hope it's none of this kind of old guard of, of Allardyce, Kerbish, Lee Moyes, that lot. I think we can just... Ideally, write that lot off. I hope um, it is just for fun. Well, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, so a club like Southampton has always been, um, well, I say always been, in the last sort of five, six years, it has seemed to be a, a well run club that, that thought sensibly about managerial appointments. And I would argue yeah. that even Claude Puel's appointment wasn't a mistake. The mistake was not giving him long enough. Right. Um, so what I would be looking to is is getting in a manager like Pochettino was when he came to us. You know, yeah. arguably, yes, he moved to a, a club too quickly, but the plan there was clearly to implement a style of football, to bring on young players, and there was a kind of integrated sense of what we wanted to achieve. Uh, yeah. Hutel, who really, I think, made his name at Leipzig, but but also did well before then, uh, is the perfect blend of somebody who has 
a good style of play, an interesting system, a works really name. well with young people. Yeah, an amazing. Hassenhutl. Hassenhutl, yeah. I mean, that's a great name. He sounds like some sort of space shuttle. You know? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Mm. Um, Made of so, tin. I mean, he, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, tactically that happens in, in the Austrian divisions and also in, in Bundesliga 2 as well as Bundesliga 1. That's mm. where all of the good managers are coming from at the moment, I would suggest. Mm. Um, apart from Braga, there seem to be some quite good ones there. But um, he's, he's kind of come up through that system. He started coaching quite young, having had a successful career as a player. Mm-hmm. And... I, I think he would be ideal for us. Um, whether or not he would want to come into a club where, you know, Les Reed was sacked, what, two weeks ago, things are not going well. Yeah. But as Sam Ty pointed out on Twitter earlier, you know, there's a really strong core of players at the club, actually. Mm. And um, a network, more importantly. Network in what regards? In terms of youth development and a history of that, recent history yeah. of that. Yeah, although I think to be fair, that in the last couple of years that the kind of sense that Southampton is a club with a really strong academy is yeah. more based in what had happened two or three years before that yeah. than any recent transitions. I mean, Jan Valerie started at, at right wing back uh, on Saturday and he is a, a product of the youth academy to a degree. I mean, he was signed when he was very young. So, yeah. um, but there haven't really been any players does, does that he have, have a, come through. Does he have a song to the tune of Valkyrie? Uh, no, I was assuming it would be something like the the one that Amy Winehouse covered. Oh, that makes more sense, given that it's the same word. Yeah, but I think it was his debut, so... That really dates me, doesn't it? That puts me... <laughs> that, that tells listeners quite a lot about me, that my first thought there was uh, about Valkyrie rather than Valerie. Yeah. Actually, that is a... Uh, let's say, what were they called? That was Amy Winehouse had a cover of that. But it was by a band originally, and it was one were of Were they their from songs. Liverpool? I don't know where they were from. This doesn't matter. No. Uh, Mark Hughes uh, has been uh, fired, we all know. Um, presumably, you think that's fine and good, because you made a positive noise when I said it earlier. The Zootons. The Zootons. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I had their first album, The Zootons. Really? I did. Oh. They had some okay songs. Okay. Yeah. Um... No goals was the problem, wasn't it? I mean, it was a real lack of goals. Uh, So let's just talk about Mark Hughes rather than Southampton. He's left again. He was at Stoke before. Yeah. He was somewhere else before that. He seems to be falling into the pit of ever-growing British managers uh, who... I don't want to make it sound too... Xenophobic? No, not that. I, I, whatever I, the opposite of xenophobic is. I don't want to, if you're going to slag <laughs> off British managers. No, I, I don't want to be too harsh to Mark, to Mark Hughes because I, I, I mean, I have no idea how hard it is to be a manager or what he was doing right or wrong at Southampton. But the the the, the perception from my perspective would be that he is uh, f- firmly becoming part of a group of managers who have scuppered one too many chances and who aren't going to be able to continue on that managerial fairy-go-round, because there was one for a while. There was a list of... Oh, and, and many of them were yeah. British managers, yeah. a lot of Scottish, Welsh managers, that um, just sort of went round from club to club, uh, from the sort of bottom ten of the Premier League. Mm. And when they got fired, there was no real sense of urgency. It felt like they were just going to pick up another job at West Brom or Everton. Yeah. Or, uh, again, didn't mean to admit... That sounds harsh on Everton, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, That is... That's becoming less of a thing, isn't it? And then there are more foreign imports in terms of managers, particularly young managers. Yeah. Um, and there's also there's more there's more uh, 
public credibility for, for, for managers like Eddie Howe. Yes. Or, or Gary Monk maybe started that as well. A, yeah. a, a young player uh, who turns, turns coach and suddenly clubs and, and, and crucially owners are looking for something slightly different to Mark Hughes. Well, I think, I think that's... Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I guess one of the things is that, that management... And by management, I mean the whole kind of gamut of different things that would fall under most managers' remits. I mean, obviously, there are managers that work with directors of football who are going to have slightly different uh, jobs concerning transfers and player acquisition and so on. But um, coaching, player assessment, scouting, a lot of that stuff has moved on. And Mm. it's moved on relatively recently. Um, I I watched Moneyball last night. Oh, I love oh, that good. film. It's a great film. I really, you know what? It's, I'm it's a sucker so nice. for it. Even even when the uh, the uh, the child, the girl child, uh, sings the song on the CD at the end in the car, and Brad Pitt's getting emotional. Five years ago, I would have been so cynical as to turn it off mm. and smash my television, and now I'm basically weeping. And it's it's because you've spent several years working in sort of football media stuff you're now craving any form of authenticity (laughs) (laughs) that's what it is just being alive um yeah so yeah so things have developed and I think if you look at if you look at the Bundesliga and how they've given chances to people like Tedesco and Nagelsmann Mm. um some of the younger Portuguese coaches coming through as well Mm. and like you say people like Eddie Howe Gary Monk uh there's there's definitely a sense that you can entrust younger managers some of whom may have had playing careers. Do you think Pep Guardiola changed that? Do you think that's... I mean, because in recent history, he is the example of of a, of a player turning young coach who changed everything, right? I mean... Well, I, I'd, actually, I would say him and Klopp at the same time. Right. Because Klopp, in, in some ways, actually is, is very similar to Eddie Howe in that Klopp was part of the playing squad. Yeah. And with... Uh, how it was due to um, the illness of his manager at the time. The name escapes me temporarily, but he took over coaching duties. Yeah. With Klopp, there was a, a sacking and an interim manager didn't work out. And so they were looking for a player who understood yeah. the system and Klopp could step up and do that. Right. So I think in that regard, yes, you've you've got a couple of, in Klopp and Guardiola, you've got a couple of guys who were very very close to the end of their playing career or yeah. still in it yeah who had an understanding of tactics but also an understanding of the way to communicate that to players mm. who were thinking about football and, and Klopp and Guardiola think about football in different ways but they think about it mm. a lot and again so are you I'm, suggesting that Mark Hughes doesn't think about it well I, I kind of realized that that's sort of potentially what you could infer from what I just said um so can you say no. that one more time what uh, because the camera stopped recording, can you say, uh, answer my question one more time? What question? I said, uh, are you suggesting that Mark Hughes doesn't? Oh, right. Um, in, uh, I suppose you could infer from what I just said that I think that Mark Hughes doesn't think about football. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that Mark Hughes is, is a coach who has had success, uh, who arguably at Stoke tried really hard to change the perception of that team and implement a playing style. Mm. But it does seem like there is that kind of generation of, of British coaches where it is now slightly moribund. There is a, a lack of uh, a, a central way of approaching a squad. So as a Southampton fan, one of the things that I noticed about Hughes is 
at times he seemed to get us right and actually I you know I think we should have won this game against Man United and yeah. and, and not closing out a 2-0 lead against a team with god knows how many defensive midfielders is is an indictment of him but actually the way he set the team up was was good yeah but too often he was changing things around and, you know the towards the end of last season when we clawed our way back from relegation there were five or six systems used in seven or eight games you know it it didn't seem like there was a sense of this is how i want the team to play this is my core group of players who are going to do that and we're going to start working on that process right now because mm-hmm. i have the confidence i can save them from relegation so it it just seemed kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks and maybe we'll get some points off that yeah it, it didn't seem like there was a coherent idea of how to play well speaking of managers with uh maybe race against the time race the against time. the times the i should time. have said sorry not the time or, or the clock maybe possibly. that's more accurate the time uh, Jose Mourinho, let's bring it back round to Manchester United mm. now. Of course, one of the things that is a, is a is a frequent criticism of Jose Mourinho is that, um, or suggestion maybe, is that potentially uh, his time, uh, his influence uh, as a manager or as a coach in football is now waning. His ideas are potentially, um, what's the right way of putting it? I mean, old. Yeah, you know he's not he's not cutting the mustard along alongside these coaches like you said Klopp and Pep. His ideas suited ten years ago, mm. and now they don't. Um, and there doesn't seem to be. I mean, I say there doesn't seem to be much of a of a um, uh, of a uh, willingness to change that. But I could not, for the life of me, understand what Manchester United's formation was at the weekend. I was hoping you might be able to help <laughs> me understand that because because initially I thought that they were just playing with four at the back with Matic in there with Phil Jones, but it didn't look like that when they were playing no it, it actually oddly looked a little bit like the the sort of Leon and Bournemouth 5-2-3 that was used against Man City in their last two games but right. but it was 5-3-2 there were wing backs but the wing backs weren't pushing massively high right. um, and I mean I, I watched the game it seemed to me like United's greatest single issue was that there was very, very little movement between the lines. Yeah. By which I mean, if you drew a series of of horizontal lines across the pitch to show where Southampton's defensive line and midfield line were, yeah. what you want is to have players dropping off into the space between those lines to receive a pass because they're not being marked. Yeah. If a Southampton player were to go with them, then that would create a dogleg in the Southampton defence and you would be able to move a person around and, and get a run in behind. So Rashford was dropping off quite a lot. Mm. Lukaku wasn't that much, but that's not really what he tends to do. And and as you could see from Lukaku's goal, it was that kind of opportunistic snaffle up a chance that mm. he does excel at. But beyond that, you know, Pogba wasn't moving around much. More importantly, no one was moving off Pogba. So, Mm. you know, he would get the ball and kind of dither a little bit. But I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that there weren't runs being made forwards or players coming towards him. That was interesting, actually, because I did watch Match of the Day Mm. to see what their analysis was afterwards. And I became quite frustrated with Danny Murphy, who, generally speaking, I, you know, Mm. I quite like, because he was showing clips of Manchester United players uh, messing up passes or... 
or not passing forwards or passing forwards when they shouldn't. And what he was saying uh, to, to, to commentate over them seemed completely counter to every single clip. There were three or four in a row that just seemed like he was saying something that wasn't true. Right. And one of them was using the clip of Pogba losing the ball. Okay. And obviously it's not great to lose the ball, but as I think you pointed out on Twitter, there weren't many passing options available, and that isn't just an individual thing. The other, There were two in a row where I think it was um, Phil Jones, maybe, who picked up the ball at the back, and because he didn't pass the ball forwards straight away, Danny Murphy said, oh, well, he's not, you know, he's not looking to, to be proactive. The next clip was of... And a Herrera passing the ball forwards and it getting cut out, and then it's always not being safe enough with the ball. Mm. And I, it just felt like there were a lot of things. Not, I mean, uh, criticism for the team makes sense to me. Criticism of individual players within the team mm. in the way that he was doing it doesn't make any sense to me because it, it, it can't be it can't be taken or read without the context of uh, the surroundings. Yeah, someone tweeted me this yesterday. Um... And they said, and I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but they said football is a team game in which there seems to be an undue uh, emphasis on individuals, yeah. which I think is such a pithy and intelligent way of looking at it. You know, if you're Pogba, as a player, what you are looking for is space to carry the ball into or runs, angled runs usually, off to your left or right in which you can then play a ball over the top for that person to run onto. Yeah. Pogba's reticence to pass in that situation was because the only... And we're talking about the one that's like 8 minutes 40 into the game. Uh, he could, when he first turns, after what is an incredible piece of control, by the way, Yeah. Um, the only option is Ashley Young. Now, Ashley Young's body is angled back towards De Gea, and he's sort of moving in that general direction. So Pogba's instinct there is, well, if, if I pass back to Young, yeah. the alignment of Young's body is naturally to then pass it back to whoever the right-sided McTominay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, from a promising position of turning the ball over through an interception, you're back on your own penalty box. Yeah. So Pogba's not thinking like that. His way of thinking is to say, okay, well, I want it to go forwards. Yeah. Now, at that point, because there's a lack of options, because Lukaku starts his run really late mm -hmm. and it's a straight vertical run mm. where the passing lane is actually cut out by two Southampton players, like, what's he supposed to do? I mean, he, yeah, he did this to wait for other options. He right? did this to wait for and other options. And because of his ball control, he thinks that he's he okay. He thinks he'll be fine yeah. and, and he fluffs that. But it's not... And that happens. And it does happen. And, and Southampton were, you know, one of the things that they did really well yeah. in the first 20 minutes of that game was to constantly harass Man United players who had possession. So mm -hmm. Lamina and Hoiberg particularly were, were really aggressive in, in the central midfield area trying to win the ball back. So it's not really... A, and Stuart Armstrong dropping back and doing the same. Mm. The point being... If you took that out of context, mm -hmm. you would go, oh, I mean, that's typical Pogba. You know, he's thinking about his haircut, blah, blah, yes. blah, all of that nonsense. But what you're actually looking at, if you take a wider perspective, is, and this is why I think the fault is Mourinho's, not the individual players. If you look at or read about how people like Sarri coach their teams, there's a huge amount of focus on, uh, and Guardiola was the same, on, on repeated movements mm -hmm. so that the sense of interchange becomes almost automatic. Yeah. So you, that as soon as you pass the ball, you move. You move and yeah. you know where your teammates are going to be because yeah. there's a system by which they drop off or they push up or whatever and it's pass, move, pass, move. 
that clearly is not happening at United. Yeah, there there are players who are skillful players. I mean, Ander Herrera was a was a, an enganche under Marcelo Bielsa at Athletic. You know, he's a guy who can create a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's used as this kind of shuttling, <clears throat> competitive midfielder at the moment. Mm. It's not an absence of quality in that squad. It's it's an absence of a sense of how to progress the ball properly mm. and then that being rehearsed enough yeah. that it becomes automatic. This is one of the interesting things about Manchester United at the moment is that, as we said before, we're speculating on reasons as to why Mourinho is, is still there or what Ed Woodward might be thinking, what the board members might be thinking. But uh, putting all of that aside, the fact is he is still there. But United have been struggling for the whole season, as evidenced by the fact that they're 16 points behind top spot. Right. Mm-hmm. So that means that the story is then left to the media to make. Yes. And because it extends for over such a long period of time, the story changes because it has to change to sell. So it goes from Mourinho being the problem and they think... They get wind of the fact that he might be gone after this game if the result's the wrong result, and then it isn't the wrong result. And so the whole week leading up to that is, well, it's Mourinho's fault, Mourinho's going to go, blah, 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 blah. They win the game, Mourinho doesn't go, and then suddenly the next the young boys game, you mean? We, there's Ooh. a couple of examples, oh, okay, like yeah. Newcastle as well, when yeah, they came back yeah. and won late, you know. And then uh, the, the whole next week is, well, it's the players' fault. The players are lazy. The players aren't doing it. You know, Mourinho's an example of a coach who's won all of these, uh, all of these trophies in the past. You know, it's mm. obviously the players' fault. And then when that doesn't cut it, it goes back to being about the coach again, you know. Mm. And one of the other interesting things from, from Danny, and I hate to pick on Danny Murphy, sorry, uh, Danny Murphy's analysis of, of last night's game was that pretty much that. He said, with the exception of Rashford, he he implied that every other United player wasn't pulling their weight right. and wasn't trying hard enough. And that may well be true. That doesn't necessarily mean it isn't. But the interesting thing for me was that the narrative that was applied to Rashford was that, well, he made his mistakes like the other players did. He gave the ball away a couple of times early on. He got a, a yellow card for a rash tackle. Mm. But then he, he got two assists, and, tr- and he, you could see that he was trying hard, mm. so that makes it fine. So that, one, that doesn't matter because it's about the outcome of the game. Yeah. It's about the, the, the well, act, one-on-one individual battles. Whether they're trying or not, or as hard as they can or not, if you can see a grimace in their face, if they make the same number of mistakes as another player... That doesn't matter anyway. Mm. So I, I found it very... I mean, as good as a game as I thought Rashford had in the, you know, in the latter stages of the first half, I felt that it was, it was kind of... For, for lack of, of anything else to talk about, it was a scapegoating of, of, of certain players. And another week it would be scapegoating of Mourinho. And it just... It, normally they're really good on that show, on the match of the day, but mm. it, it irritated me. It's the time. narrative cycle. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. I mean, look, when I watched the the first half in detail, um, Rashford was the only player that stuck out for me in terms of doing the right stuff sure, for United. Yeah. However, I would never ever say that that's because he was trying harder. Right. Um, possibly, actually, the tackle that gave away the free kick that led to Cedric's goal was an mm. instance of him trying too hard yeah. because he should not be the player that's back in that position making that, that tackle. No. I think what it is is that maybe it's a combination of of players who should be making those sorts of runs that Rashford was making, dropping off, trying to link play, trying to create something. Mm-hmm. They're either feeling that, that they don't have sufficient instruction to do that, or their instructions run counter to that. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, don't break the lines, stay in your formation, try and 
you know, absorb the pressure from Southampton, which is an incredibly negative thing to do against a Southampton team that are as bad as they currently are. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that that United players have actually, particularly the younger players, have got to this stage with uh, Mourinho, maybe Rashford aside, or maybe Rashford just doesn't care, where if they try and do something and it goes wrong, they're going to be the scapegoat. Yeah, And, and it's interesting that that the players that uh, Mourinho seems to have the biggest problem with when it's, you know, it's Luke Shaw, or it's Paul Pogba, to a degree it's Rashford because he's been critical of Rashford in the past, certainly mm-hmm. Martial. These are the younger generation of players who are much more in some ways assertive than their older counterparts. And if you read uh, Ben Littleton's book, Edge, it talks about how Didier Deschamps adjusted his man management style when he took over that France national side which features a lot of these younger players, you know, players for whom image and brand and all of these kind of things are important. And that, you know, they're thinking about stuff outside of football in a way that maybe players didn't previously. Other than the pub. Other than the pub and birds. Mm. birds. Um, and Deschamps adjusted. And, and he worked out how to talk to these players. And he got that incredible performance out of France in the World Cup. And you could, mm. you know, the the way that those players were, were behaving behind the scenes, you could see it from the the way Pogba stood up in the dressing room prior to the World Cup final and made that impassioned speech. Yeah. He gets it. And some of these younger coaches, and maybe it goes back to the point we were making earlier about, about Eddie Howe, about Pep Guardiola, about Jurgen Klopp, they are closer in age to these players maybe, or they're closer in understanding and in sympathy, particularly because Dortmund have such a young team. Barcelona have always had an emphasis on youth development and Mourinho, that's just kind of passed him by. He doesn't understand how to manage players that you can't kind of give a metaphorical clip round the ear to. Yeah. And that's part of his problem because those are the players in his squad that will go and make stuff happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so thinking about Manchester United going forwards, and we've talked about the idea of um, who might, who may or may not replace Mourinho. Let's, let's speak very, very briefly about uh, the video we made uh, with Maurizio Pochettino replacing Mourinho as a... As a hypothetical, as a total hypothetical, mm. um, one of the things that one of the points that you made, and you, you touched on already in, in this podcast, is that the quality is there. The players are there already. The, 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 the one key area that you felt that United might have to strengthen in was a fullback, primarily right back. Obviously, one of the you know one of the players that we didn't mention was United's uh, new uh, right back Dallo, who is a teenager and who's played once or twice. And yeah, he's... sure, looks great, but yeah, far too small a sample size to to make any predictions from. Yeah, so he, he's got all the potential in the world. Yeah, but that's it is, that's, that's really is. all it is at this yeah. stage. So taking Mourinho, uh, Mourinho, sorry, taking Pochettino as an example of a coach that is thinking today's thoughts. Does that make sense? That it, it, that whose ideas perhaps aren't considered antiquated in the same way that maybe Mourinho's are now. Whether that's fair or not, let's just say that that's the case. Um, using using Pochettino as as a, a sort of symbol of a new manager who might come in and do something different. Again, you think the only real area that needs focus is, is fullbacks, and you, you'd be happy with the with the with the other personnel and other areas of the pitch. Yeah, I, I I mean I think if I like if I were to come in as Manchester United manager, I would mm. I would. Mm. I would look at that squad and think, I mean, look, against Southampton, who did he have on the bench? He had Lingard, Martial, he had Fred and Mata all on the bench, mm. right? Those are all players who can do stuff to change a game yeah. in, in an offensive sense. Yeah. Um, or in a defensive sense, but a negative one. You yeah. Know, 
They could give oh. the ball. They could score an own goal. Oh, they could do also that. Yes, they yes. could. They could assist the opposition. So there's there is a lot of talent there, and there's players like Lingard, who, as we saw uh, for England at the World Cup, can excel in that kind of very tight, compact, quick interchange passing that that Spurs particularly seem to like. Mm. Um, I would not be worried about quality. I would be worried about. Yes, some people have said maybe centre backs need improvement and I, and I can understand that that's an area that United would want to spend in as well or um, don't if you're Ed Woodward or don't if you're Ed Woodward but I mean that, look at the power of a transformative signing I mean, uh, I don't know um, if you saw Arsenal Spurs I didn't right so Lucas Torreira was immense in that game right and Emery I think tactically got that game quite right certainly in the second half he got it very right but what was really noticeable was that Torreira gave the kind of performance that Arsenal fans have been saying Arsenal has lacked for ages and ages and ages hello right so you you get a player who is competitive uh, in the midfield who will win the ball who will mark and press well but also has an eye for a pass all of a sudden your team is shifted a gear forwards Mm. maybe that's the the kind of centre back that United need, right? Um, but they need Rio Ferdinand. They need twenty one years old, right? Who was incredible. Sure. Um, but I think you could get by on what they've got currently. Yeah. Um, I would say right back. Yeah, maybe if Dallow comes in and, and is amazing from the get go, perfect. That's fine. But there is no reason why this squad should not be consistently top four or top three, even. Okay, and that comes down to the manager ultimately. It comes down to the manager. Both in the sense that I think tactically he's making mistakes, uh-huh. um, but also crucially, I think his ability to manage his players. In you know, when when he took Porto to the European Cup, for example, the stuff that he did with Inter, a lot of that was about convincing these really talented. Well, in in Porto's thing, it was collective endeavor over skill to mm-hmm. a degree. With Inter, it was also a lot about saying to people like Wesley Schneider or Samuel Eto, you have to do exactly what I tell you. Yeah. And I think that kind of disciplinarian, trust me as we go over the top thing, just doesn't seem to cut it anymore. Yeah. And I think Mourinho hasn't adapted, and his response to that is to get increasingly angry and increasingly bitter and critical and to have that kind of defensive mindset, rather than to think... Actually, maybe it's me that needs to change. Um, and mm, maybe that's he, what happens. Maybe in he my should do the dishes more. Personal relationship. Well, I was just going to say, it's... come on. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm sorry. You know who you are. I love you. Um, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I, but I, I think that's part of the problem. And and maybe if you had somebody like a Pochettino or an Eddie Howe, for example, someone like that who could come in and. Mm. And say, right, you know, this is not about me issuing a set of instructions that you have to follow, uh, irrespective of how you feel they are. Let's let's mm. make this a slightly more collaborative process that plays to your strengths. A liberal new school, kind of. A sort of, uh, you know, let's let's write essays about our dads rather than maths. Yeah, and and I'm not saying for a second that people like you know the the, the new managers can't enforce discipline it just Mm. seems like there's more of a kind of an empathy and an understanding with their players than than Mourinho currently has sure and maybe some of the other older guard managers have have lost that as well so I'm going to ask you now as a final question if you might make uh, any prediction as to what's going to happen for Manchester United for the rest of the season because of course 
you know, they're adrift currently, 16 points, uh, 16 points behind Manchester City in first place. They're also behind Arsenal and uh, Tottenham in fourth and fifth, respectively, by eight points. It looks a difficult task now. I mean, and, you know, perhaps we're calling it too early. It is only the beginning of December. But you'd say that they would have to make some radical changes and uh, radically progress very soon to have an option of finishing in the top four. Yeah. So the next game is at home against Arsenal. Um, yes. And I think if they... And they're going to lose that game. I, I think they're going to lose that game. Yes. Um, particularly I, I hope if, we're wrong. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think particularly if, if Emery... It'll make us look like such losers. ...goes for... I mean, what, what I really liked about Emery, just to very, very briefly talk about that, was the, the switch that he made... When he took off Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, he brought on Lacazette and Ramsey and and switched the arrangement of the front three from being a 2-1 to a 1-2. Right. All of a sudden, Arsenal were, were 10 times more uh, attacking and, and more incisive in that area, and Ramsey was making these runs beyond the strikers. And that is a proactive change. Right. It's in a proactive game. in-game change by a manager, which, you know, the, those things don't actually work as much as you'd think they do, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, if... If Man United come up against that sort of Arsenal, then they will lose, yeah. I would suggest. Yeah. Um, then, okay, Fulham at home, but then they're into quite a tough run of fixtures, uh, including European football. Um, I don't know. I mean, he could he could quite easily be gone... Because well, the other sensible thing to think about is the January transfer window. Yeah. You know, you would the want... The January. Huh? I was just I, sorry. I didn't mean to stop you. I was mocking you for saying the January transfer. Oh right, okay. Mm. Well, I mean that's not constructive, is it? The 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 transfer. The transfer. The January transfer. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, anybody who comes in is presumably going to want to have a say on that, and anybody who comes in after that is probably going to be a bit knocked that maybe mm. either players didn't get bought or players that they wouldn't have wanted got bought. So, but isn't it cruel to fire someone at Christmas? Isn't it too cruel? I mean, yes, but, I mean, it's football is a harsh and unforgiving... I mean, Where does Mourinho go next? I mean, international, right? I can't imagine I, where else he goes. Literally the only place Newcastle. I can see him going. For some reason would be, I feel that he is going to go to yeah, but Newcastle. This is, this at some is point. because you had Newcastle as your answer in the QA for the club that you'd pump Money Petro into. dollars into. No, it just fits for some reason. I, I don't know why. I don't want to say anything for fear of in my alienating head. people. Um No, I, I think that Real Madrid are unlikely to everywhere he's gone, he's left with issues, divisiveness, anger, arguably except for Porto and Inter. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, he he has. So, Incidentally, both places where you win the Champions League, it's kind of hard to leave. Right, with, uh, exactly. Uh, and, and a lot of those Porto players then followed him to Chelsea. We, I think, we, of course. I think I can't see him managing in Germany no. um, for various reasons. Um, I think he could... Somewhere like Inter maybe would take him back, um, although they're doing quite well at the moment under an interesting manager, so why? Mm-hmm. Um, then unless he wants to go back to club management in Portugal, which doesn't seem to have the finances... La America? That's not a, 
uh, you know, it's not the dumbest idea because there would be money from a from an LA Galaxy, for example. What, what if you went to DC United, hook up with Wayne again? Oh, I don't think that would work. Two old boys well, knocking about. To be honest, let's look at the monuments. I don't. I don't think there's probably anybody in MLS apart from LA Galaxy that would have that kind of money. I mean, yeah. you know. Atlanta are doing really well under Tata Martino, so there's no way that they would want to, even though they've got the kind of largest expanding mm. fan base. Okay, um, well, listen, this has gone on for long enough. Portuguese national team. Portuguese, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Although it's the obvious answer, isn't it? So maybe I don't. It's the obvious answer because it's really one of the few ones that makes sense. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, thank you to everyone for listening to our uh, podcast. As you might have guessed, we didn't really plan that at all, so... Uh, several different tangents if there was anything that we missed out on that you wanted us to answer again please let us know uh you can get in touch with us via twitter i believe facebook even uh slide into alex's dms or leave a comment on um any of the uh the, the youtube youtube videos that we released that's all fine yeah um so yeah if we missed out on anything let us know you want us to hear anything else on manchester united or, or even southampton the mark you probably never want to hear anything on manchester united ever probably again. never again so. uh next week we will be back with a different topic uh don't know what that is yet but we'll work it out unless jose Mourinho does actually get sacked in oh. the next week in which case <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry about that. That may happen. Mm. Anyway, um, thank you so much for listening. Again, thank you for your patience in terms of the return of the podcast. We're delighted to be back, and we will be back every Monday. The times may slightly change, but uh, I would say late afternoon Monday in terms of a release time is probably what you want to be looking for. In time for your Tuesday AM commute. That's, that's how I like to finish. Yeah. You ever imagine being on the radio? You're listening to TFO Football Podcast. This is the radio. That doesn't make any sense, does you it? You sound like Alan Partridge. Sound like Alan? Oh, no, I don't. Well, you did when you did that voice. It's a goal. And another. Yeah. Yeah? All right. Um, yes, thank you very much. And uh, farewell. <laughs> <laughs>